0: Good morning, and grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Last week we began a new series in the books of 1st and 2nd Peter, and we looked at the very beginning of 1st Peter. We took a quick look at the life of Peter and how the Lord called him to be a disciple, a follower of Jesus. And then how he became an apostle, one who was sent by God to be his representative among his people. We also looked at the whole idea of calling, and that that through the foreknowledge of God, he has called us to follow him and to receive his grace and peace. We saw how the letter began, and it follows the same pattern that most of the New Testament letters use. The writer first identifies himself, he then tells who he's writing the letter to, and we looked at that some last week. The writer then usually gives a greeting of some kind, followed by an expression of thanksgiving. He then writes the body of the letter, and there's usually some type of formal greeting or farewell at the end. This morning, we're going to look at the first part of Peter's greeting and thanksgiving. Last week, we only looked at two verses, and this week, we're only going to look at three verses. At this pace, we should be finished with these two letters by the end of 2025. Don't worry, there will be some Sundays where we take a much larger portion of the text to study. Before this morning, there's just so much in these three verses that I chose to just focus on them for this week. So I invite you to please take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of First Peter, and I invite you to please stand with me as you're able for the reading from God's Word. This morning I'll be reading First Peter chapter 1, verses three through five. If you're following along in the Pew Bibles, it's found on page 857. Reading in Jesus' name. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Lord, these are your words. We thank you for them. We thank you for these letters that your Holy Spirit inspired Peter to write, Lord, to the first century church. As we look at this passage today, Lord, Open up your word to us. May your Holy Spirit guide and direct us through this, Lord. And as always, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts together would be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Peter begins by writing, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why doesn't he simply say, praise be to God? Well, because what he's praising God for is the work done by and through Jesus Christ. And we're going to see four things, four blessings for us, four works of Christ that Peter is praising God for. And those four works are these. First, he has saved us through new birth. Second, he has given us a living hope through the resurrection of jesus christ third he has given us an inheritance kept in heaven for us and fourth he will shield us or keep us until the time of christ's return these are all things that we just like peter can be thankful for Uh, peter begins by saying that out of god's great mercy he has given us a new birth he has caused us To be born again. See, that phrase born again became very popular in the 70s and 80s to describe a follower of Jesus. And it comes right out of John chapter 3 in that passage where Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night with some questions. And Jesus tells Nicodemus that no one, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. And we find that whole conversation between them where Nicodemus is confused by Jesus' teaching and he says that, well, no one can be born when he's old. He can't enter back into his mother's womb a second time. But Jesus tells him that this new birth is not a physical birth, but a spiritual birth. And that's what Peter is referring to here. He says that in his great mercy, God has given us a new birth spiritually. Now, mercy means not getting what our deeds deserve. Grace, on the other hand, is receiving something that we don't deserve. So Peter is saying here that, that what we deserve because of our sin is death. It is spiritual death. But God, in his great mercy, is not giving us what we deserve, but is instead giving us a new birth into a new spiritual life that is all centered on Jesus Christ and what he has accomplished for us. What Peter is telling us is that we now have a new relationship with God through this new birth. We have been born into the family of God and we are now God's children. John 1.12 says that to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. This all goes back to what we talked about last week with the calling of God. We saw that, that we are called to follow after God by the Holy Spirit, that the Spirit awakens in us a desire to follow after God, and that without God's Holy Spirit calling us, none of us would ever choose to follow after God. Our new birth comes about when God's Holy Spirit speaks to our spirit and shows us our sin and our need of forgiveness. See, The Holy Spirit is the one who gives us new life, that new birth that Peter is speaking of. The Apostle Paul spoke about it this way when he said to the church in Ephesus, he said, as for you, You were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the rulers, the ruler, I'm sorry, of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. That is Ephesians two verses one and two. And it says that those who are without the gospel are not a dying people. They are a dead people. People are not resistant to the gospel because some part of them is resisting. They are dead, and they cannot respond until new life is given to them. That's why Paul goes on to say in verses 4 and 5, But because of his great love for us, God, who was rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. The Holy Spirit of God does the supernatural work within us to make us alive to spiritual truth so that when we hear the gospel, we respond and we're saved. Do you see the distinction here? We're often taught that if we will make changes in our lives, that God will accept us, that he will then respond to us. If we receive Jesus into our hearts, God will cause us to be born again. If we would show faith, then the Holy Spirit could work in us. See, but it's God who works in us before we ever turn back towards him. You see, God is not rendered powerless by us. He's not somehow wishing that we would make use of his mercy. When God decides out of his mercy that he will save us, he will do just that. Because we are dead, salvation can only take place when we're born again. And that new birth can only take place by the supernatural act of God. And Peter is saying to his listeners, friends, this happened It's not hopefully going to happen. It's not happening gradually as we make changes in our lives. It has happened as the free gift of God through his wonderful mercy to us. We have been born again. Peter says that God has given us a new birth, but it is a new birth into a living hope. The thought that the hope is living flows out of the teaching of the new birth that we've been granted. We who are now alive in Jesus Christ, we now possess a hope that fills us with purpose and joy. It it, it vitalizes us. This is not the, the kind of hope that's just wishful thinking, like, I hope things will get better, or I hope I'll get such and such for my birthday or Christmas. No. This is hope that sustains us that gives us confidence, that fills us with peace and joy. In fact, it fills us so much that Peter will tell us later in 1 Peter 3.15 that we always need to be ready to give an answer to anyone who asks us to give the reason for the hope that we have. Our new birth into a living hope springs up in us through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. In this letter, we see the theme of life, new birth, living hope, resurrection. The resurrection to new life for Jesus leads to new life for us. We cannot be born again if Christ was not raised to new life first, right? If he wasn't raised, then there's nothing for us to be born into. No kingdom of God, no family of God, if Jesus is never rose from the grave as the apostle Paul teaches us in 1 Corinthians 15 17 if Christ has not been raised your faith is futile you're still in your sins we're still dead but Paul goes on to say and I love this part of the passage Christ has indeed been raised from the dead and because Jesus was raised from the dead then we too are born again into a living hope see our hope is that we too will live after our time here on earth is over we have the hope the certainty that we will experience victory over death and the grave because Jesus already paved the way for us through his death and resurrection see, we have no fear of death or the grave because Jesus has already conquered them on our behalf and this living hope springs out of the new birth that we've been given through the work of god's holy spirit in us (coughs) excuse me this is why we've seen so many people throughout history being willing to die for their faith with dignity and remain in peace because of the living hope that they have that they will be with the lord when their time of suffering is over and Peter goes on to tell us that our living hope is based on an eternal inheritance given to us through faith in Christ. Peter says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, because through our new birth into a living hope, he has now given us an inheritance. When we think of the word inheritance, we think of of property or title that's passed down from one person to another, from one generation to another, usually from parents down to their children. We've all seen people driving around in expensive cars or big motorhomes, and what's the bumper sticker say on those? We're spending our children's inheritance. And I'm not here to say whether or not that's right or wrong, because that's not the inheritance that Peter is talking about here. But usually when we think of an inheritance, it's something that comes to an heir freely. Usually not because of something that they've done or worked for, but it's given out of the love of the one who's passing it on. And how does Peter describe this inheritance? It's an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance will not decay. Death cannot affect it. What what happens to our bodies when we die, right? Over time, our bodies will decay. They'll rot away. Not this inheritance that's promised to us. This inheritance will not spoil. It will not become tainted or impure. What we talked about in one of our hymns during Advent, that thought of sin's alloy, that sin has tainted the perfection that God created. Well, this inheritance will not be tainted by sin because Jesus has already defeated sin for us. This inheritance will not fade with time. It is eternal. And this inheritance is kept. It is guarded in heaven for you. It is secure. It cannot be stolen or lost. It will not be accidentally given to someone else. No one else can claim it. The the data entry person will not have our name misspelled or our social security number wrongly written down, right? There will be no computer breakdown or virus to cancel our inheritance. And that sounds great, doesn't it? Nothing is going to happen to that inheritance. But you might ask, well, what about me? What if I lose my way or I fall away? What if I misplace my reservation number? What if Satan gets to me first? What if I don't make it to heaven to claim my inheritance? Well, let's see what Jesus himself has to say about that first. In John chapter 6, verses 39 and 40, Jesus says this. He says, this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all that he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. And then again in John chapter 10, verses 27 through 29, Jesus says this, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish No one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. That is Jesus' promise to those who have faith in him, to those who have been born again into a living hope. The promise is that they will have this inheritance. But for many, there's still a nagging question or worry. See, Peter says that it's through faith that we are shielded or kept. Maybe no one can snatch me out of the Father's hand. But what if I jump out through my own lack of faith? What if I choose to walk away from the Lord? And that is a real and appropriate concern to have. But let's first note Peter's intent here in writing. Peter's focus here is not to give a warning. He's not saying, watch out, you've got this wonderful inheritance that's going to be taken away if you don't keep up your faith. No, he doesn't say that. The thrust of his message is this, rejoice, praise be to God. Look at this wonderful, secure inheritance that God has given you. And all that's required of you is to believe it and receive it. Now, for those of us who still worry Be reminded once again that we are God's elect. We didn't choose God in the first place. Through his foreknowledge, he chose us. We are redeemed, remember, by the blood of Christ shed on the cross. We have been sprinkled by the blood of the Lamb. What did we do of our own to earn this? Nothing. When we finally exercise faith, we did so because God called us, caused us, I'm sorry, to be born again so that we could exercise faith. Faith is God's gift to us. He is the one who created the faith in us in the first place. And Paul tells us in his letter to the church in Ephesus that God guarantees his gift of faith to us. Right? This is what Paul wrote in Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. He said, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his Glory. We have the mark, the seal of God's Holy Spirit who guarantees our inheritance. It is guaranteed because the Holy Spirit who lives within us guarantees it to us. Now, is there a place for warning about a lack of faith or a falling away from the faith? Sure there is. Whenever we become complacent about our faith, and we begin to presume upon God to save us, regardless of whether we exercise faith or not, whether we choose to follow him or not, then, then we need to examine our hearts to see if we have truly had saving faith to begin with. Faith, again, is not the source of salvation. It is the means that God has chosen through which to grant his salvation to us. It is the evidence of our salvation if we lack that evidence of faith then yes there is cause for concern because maybe just maybe we've never truly been born again by god's holy spirit so that we can hear the message and repent and be saved that's why peter began with the new birth because it is only through that first work of the holy spirit that the process of salvation begins so our focus then along with Peter's is not entrusting God to save me regardless of whether or not I keep my faith. But it is entrusting the Holy Spirit of God to keep me faithful to the calling which he has placed on my life. There's a scene in the movie The Hiding Place where Corrie ten Boom is a child and she asks her father about death. And he answers her and he says, When we take our train trips, when do I give you the ticket for the train? And she replies, well, when the train comes. So he tells her, when the time comes, God will give you what you need. It is that way with our faith. I don't trust myself to have or keep faith throughout life, but I do trust God to keep me faithful as I spend time in his word and time in worship. And prayer. So Peter teaches us that God has caused us to be born again so that we have a living hope for an inheritance that is eternal. It is secure because God is the one who makes it secure. And when do we receive it? Peter says at the end of verse five, we receive it at the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed at the last time. This is a, what is called a pregnant and mysterious phrase. Literally, the Greek reads, for the salvation ready to be revealed at the last time or day. Peter is looking to the final day of Christ's return when he will complete his work of salvation, not merely saving his people from sin, but destroying sin and death, and then raising his people with transformed bodies that will no longer know sickness or frailty, or death. See, this takes us back to what I talked briefly about last week, that concept of already but not yet. We are saved now, and yet we're not saved completely. We've been saved from the judgment of God's wrath on our sin. We have been saved from the power of Satan to enslave us. But we still sin, don't we? We still live in a world that is enslaved by Satan. And we still have to live with the effects of our sin and the sinful world that we live in. But the Bible tells us that someday that's all going to come to an end. Someday we will be delivered from sin and its effects altogether. And that day is the day of Christ's return. That is the day Christ and his salvation will be revealed to us, a salvation that is received through faith alone. And for Peter, and therefore for us as well, this salvation is here, right? It is ready. There's no more work to be done other than the gathering of all the elect. Atonement has been made on the cross. New life has been given through the Spirit and the resurrection. Christ has ascended on high and has made and continues to make intercession for his people. He has sent his Holy Spirit. One more thing remains, his return in all of his power and glory. And everything is ready. Friends, the day of salvation may be today. It may be tomorrow. It may be any time. But it will be the day that God has determined. And on that day, our promised inheritance will become our eternal possession. Isn't that a great promise? Let's close by looking once again at this idea of an inheritance. For Abraham and his descendants, the people of Israel, their inheritance was land, right? The whole history of Israel is about taking possession of the promised land and keeping it. And as they are faithful to God and are blessed by him, they extend and secure their possession And as they're unfaithful and punished by God, they lose possession of the land and are even cast into exile. But I think the Israelites understood that more than just land was involved here. The land of Israel represented the kingdom of God to them. To inherit the land was to be part of God's kingdom. They were to be a holy nation. They were to be a kingdom of priests. They were God's inheritance who possessed God's holy place. And what they looked forward to was the day that the kingdom of God would be revealed through Israel. Right, The nation of Israel would reign and the whole earth would be their possession. And that was the old covenant. But Jesus in the new covenant took this concept of the kingdom of God and he gave it a deeper spiritual meaning. The kingdom of God is the rule of God and those who live under his rule will be part of that kingdom and will dwell with God so when Christ returns he will say to his people as he says in Matthew 26 34 he'll say come you who are blessed by my father take your inheritance the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world we inherit the kingdom of God or we can understand inheritance and in other terms in Matthew 19:29, Jesus says, "We'll inherit eternal life." Hebrews 1:14 says, "We will inherit salvation. See, but my favorite understanding of inheritance is the one given to the Levites, the priests of God, in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses eight and nine. Listen to what it says. At that time, the Lord set apart the tribe of Levi to carry the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, to stand before the Lord, to minister and to pronounce blessings in his name, as they still do today. That is why the Levites have no share or inheritance among their brothers. And listen to this last phrase. For the Lord is their inheritance. Isn't that a wonderful phrase? The Lord is their inheritance. And for the believer in Christ, the same is said. The Lord is your inheritance. So whatever term you want to use, what inheritance is intended to convey is this. You have a portion reserved for you that cannot be taken You are sons of God, whether male or female. You are sons who, by virtue of being born of God, possess the rights of sons to be joint heirs with Jesus to God's inheritance. Paul put it very eloquently in Galatians 3, verses 26 through 29. He said, you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs, according to the promise. Heirs are those who receive the inheritance. So I ask you this morning, are you an heir of the kingdom of God? because i think that many today presume to possess something that they don't have you can't inherit eternal life by being a grandson being born of believing parents will not save you but only being born again through the awakening of the holy spirit to faith in christ that will save you the evidence of the new birth is your faith not the faith of your parents Right. Understand also that you cannot inherit eternal life by being like a son. Having good Christian values is not enough. Being a good church person is not enough. It is through faith, your faith, and faith alone that you receive that inheritance that Peter is speaking about here. So I ask you once again, is that inheritance yours today? if you have any questions concerning whether or not you have that inheritance waiting for you I'd love to visit with you after the service please pray with me oh Lord we are so so grateful for the promise of a living hope because Christ rose from the grave to an an eternal inheritance Lord kept in heaven for us you said in John uh, chapter 14 that you were going to prepare a place for us Lord and that place is going to be unlike anything we've ever seen before. Thank you. Thank you for the inheritance that is laid up for us through faith in Christ. Help us, Lord, as we're living here in this world, to, to keep our faith in you strong, to walk with you daily, Lord, so that we're ready to receive that inheritance when the time comes. Thank you. Thank you for your promise to never let go of us, that, that no one can snatch us out of your hand. That is a wonderful promise, Lord. Receive our our thanks, Lord, for this wonderful inheritance and the living hope that we have in you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.